0: You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network.
1: Hello, David. Hello. I'm Tim Robertson. He's David Cohen. This is tech fan number 80. 80 episodes, David. Fancy schmancy. Yeah. (laughs) We talked about this a little while ago, too, on an episode. We were like, wow, we're already at number such and such. But yeah, 20 episodes to go. We'll hit that magical 100. Not bad. You know, on uh, the end of this month, we are going to see kind of a significant milestone. And I believe it's, what is it, June 29th? Yes. June 29th, 2007. Yeah, I suppose you take it from when it was announced as opposed to when it was released. But Well... Yeah. yeah, I when it was released when when us yeah. mere mortals could buy for the first time the iPhone and that was on June 29th 2007 so we're coming up on the 5 year anniversary. I know a lot of people celebrated the 5 year anniversary in January which was when uh Steve Jobs unveiled the iPhone to the public for the first time and then we had a whole 6 months 6 months almost 7 months waiting to buy it and yeah. uh i think that they, you did not go to that expo you came to 2008 that's right yeah i was looking back at some photos and i thought oh, david's not there yeah it was uh you know i sat next to guy searle uh larry grinnell uh there was a number of us in the in the audience that day watching the steve jobs keynote and i to be honest it, it blew me away david
2: well, you know, I mean, it, it's in, in preparation for this. Yes, do occasionally prepare. I, I did you know, sit down and do it, do a little bit of thinking about phones in general. It's easy to forget. I mean, I mean, it's amazing. It's been five years, to be honest, but it's also it's easy to forget how bad cell phones were before the iPhone came out. Absolutely, you yeah. know, because because they, I mean, they literally not just redefined phones, but they redefined computing when they when they came up with that. They changed the uh, entire industry with just the one product. Absolutely. Um, and look how much, even today, how, my, how many copycat products there are for, you know, which you would put next to the original iPhone. You go, oh, yeah, you know, I can see the linkages there. Um, that's how, you know, really what a step change it was in that, you know, they jumped from stuff that was rubbish, very hard to use, um, really really kind of awkward and unfunctional to something that you know they kind of got the broad brushes of it you know right on the first try and here we are 5 years later and all we all we're using is refinements of that same original concept
1: yeah if you if you, if you pluck someone from August 2007 that has the first generation iPhone and handed them an iPhone 4 us they would have no problem using it No, it's ostensibly the same phone granted apps, the new features, all that stuff. Yes, different, but it's still pretty much the same thing. It's a a three-and-a-half-inch screen, which, if you want to listen to speculation, that may change soon. Um, You touch it, and it does things.
2: Well, even the touch, I mean, you got to remember, before Apple launched the iPhone, touch was done very differently on devices. I mean, that's, that, to me, that was one of the things that shows how much care and thought they put into this. Do you remember what touch was like before the iPhone came along? There was no capacitive touch. That's right. There was, there was the resistive thing, so there was kind of like a, a wobbly plastic film on top of the screen and you had to use a, a stylus or something to really push down on it. And it meant that it always looked bad because it always had like a kind of a, a filmy effect on, on top of it. And there was always the kind of a... You know, a very thin bit of of lack of resistance when you touch it. It was horrible.
1: You know, and that's the, uh, why
2: that's why nobody nobody really used touch screens back then because
1: they were horrible. And it wasn't and just th- the fact, David, that it was a touch screen. That wasn't that big of a novelty. It was the multi-touch. You could yeah. touch two different things or more at the same time on your screen, and it would register all of those touches.
0: And
2: that touchscreen was... I mean, it went from being something that looked like it was designed in the 90s to something that looked like it came straight out of Star Trek because it was a, a piece of razor-sharp razor screen under a of cl- piece of clear glass. And touching that thing was just like... And, and you know, the way the operating system underneath responded to your touch was just like nothing we'd ever seen before.
1: Now, the, the, that came from that multi-touch came from a company called Fingerworks. And uh, it was developed and founded by John Ellis and uh, Wayne Westerman from the University of Delaware in 1998 is when they formed that company. Now, the company also came out with a uh, touchstream keyboard, and it was kind of neat, but it went away when the company was bought by this other little company in 2005 called Apple Incorporated. So Apple bought this company and put these guys to work, and we saw the fruits of their labor not too long afterwards. They bought that company in 2005. They unveiled the iPhone in January of 2007. So that's not a lot of time between the two. Not really. No.
2: And and also as well, what we now know is that um, the iPhone wasn't the first – internal attempt at, at this sort of device they were actually going for the ipad first yep and then they decided to focus on the phone form factor originally and and develop
1: the ipad further on well what Which they was, did was the the very first go at the iphone was taking basically an ipod with the spinning wheel yeah. and trying to use that as the interface to the telephone and they realized what, pretty quickly that that's yeah. that's not the way to go
2: it, which was kind of what we all expected. We all knew before they announced the iPhone that Apple was probably moving to do a phone integrated with the iPod, and we were expecting something like that. And um, you know, really, when the iPhone was announced, it completely blew everybody away. And I, I think because you had that six-month delay, there was an awful lot of speculation that you know the, there was there was too much um, you know there was too much showmanship in the original demo, and in fact, there was no way it could be that good. Right, um, and of course, you know, when it actually got into consumer's
1: hands, not only was it that good, it was better. it was actually uh, better, it absolutely uh, was now, yeah. two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, uh, possibly going in two thousand and eight real realistically was the biggest years for Apple ever because they switched to the Intel processor for the Mac line, and the iPhone came out, and those two things combined heralded realistically. Um, even more so for than the iPod did, uh, a reemergence of Apple. That not only they, could they do something like the iPod, which was a phenomenal success at the time. I mean, at the time the iPhone was released, the iPod was at its height. Yeah. And all the pundits
2: were saying, you know, don't buy Apple anymore because if you buy the stock, they can't maintain this growth with the uh, iPod you know the market's reaching saturation. Well, they are right. Any, they'll never come up. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, but the, the implied in that statement was they'll never come up with anything as good as that again. Right. You know, don't you, you need to? You need to jump off the wave before it breaks, because otherwise you'll crash and burn. Yep. Uh, and of course, you know, shows what the pundits know because uh, Apple came out with something that was completely revolutionary. And as I say, I, I think the thing that kind of gets me most about the iPhone is not so much the phone itself as fantastic as it was is the fact is that they actually had uh you know a plan for completely revolution revolutionizing computing in general yeah um to take away a lot of the pain to make it simple to make it so intuitive you didn't need a manual um to make sure that it was safe that it was secure um and then could be scaled up to replace you know the the kind of the car truck thing. You know it's replaced the truck, which is the computer, which is complex and needs training uh, and needs security and needs all this sort of thing, with something that you can just rely on. You can just pick up and rely on it. It's instantly on, um, and uh, you know you can just use it. And not only that, it can do most of what your computer can do. I mean that was yeah. I'd had I'd had smartphones before uh, the iPhone came along, and I had Blackberries and all this sort of things, and they were all good at one or two things you know the blackberry was very good at email it was fantastic email but it sucked to browse the web you wouldn't want to browse the web on it nope um you know general smartphones they all kind of offered you this cut down um web experience or uh, wap which was kind of like menus it, it was like going back to the internet of the uh, 1970s um with a few little graphics and that sort of thing no high speed data um no proper web browser no way of using HTML email. And Apple just came along and said, yeah, well, here we'll give you a device that you know, not only can you make calls on it, but you've got the internet in your pocket. Um, it's always on, and it's the real internet. It's the full internet, excluding Flash, of course. But um,
1: you know, Which, which um, looking back, was a, a brilliant decision because nobody wants a phone that battery only lasts an hour. And that's yeah. what we would have had if they would have supported Flash at the beginning. Yeah, And even going till now, I mean, Flash is terrible. I was just talking to... I'm not going to mention any names, but a person who works at Adobe, and he's in a high position at Adobe, and he even doesn't like Flash. He understands the need for it still for some websites that do stuff in Flash, but he agrees Flash needs to go away. And I think that was heralded because of Apple not including Flash support on iOS devices. It wasn't because Steve Jobs hated Adobe. It was because it was terrible technology. Yeah. It was just bad for a mobile device. Um, So
2: so that even Adobe have now dropped.
1: Look, well, absolutely. Yeah. If you look back when the iPhone was unveiled in my pocket was a little Samsung flip phone that I didn't give a crap about. It took photos, but it was almost impossible for me to get those photos off the phone and onto my Mac. And I didn't want to anyways, because the photos were terrible. It's it had like a, a half a megapixel camera in it. Yeah, Everything was dark, even in bright sunshine. It was a terrible phone. Uh, it did have one feature that I liked and that was voice dialing and it actually worked well. Yeah. Um, it took a while. It took until Siri for Apple to come back up with that feature. And I'm glad they did. But the entire industry at that point, David was a race to the bottom very few people were buying smartphones because they were very specific, they were complicated, and most people didn't need anything like that. It didn't offer yeah. them any features that, yeah, I just want a phone that so I can call my husband when I'm at, you know, the school, or I want to call my wife when I'm at the grocery store because I know I'm forgetting something.
2: Well, smartphones back then, you know, they were techie toys. They were kind of like PDAs with a phone grafted on. There was the um, Palm One. There was the uh, Windows Phone one that was kind of like a, a Windows uh, kind of compact PDA with a, um, with a phone grafted onto it. Um, but they were still terrible. The point is you would pay a premium to get kind of a techie toy, and it still wouldn't do um, the Internet properly. It, it was still hard to, to listen to music on it. Um, I mean, you've got to remember, and this is one of the things I clearly remember from the original keynote, is that uh, Steve Jobs called the iPhone the best iPod we've ever made. Yep. Now... A little bit of marketing hyperbole there, because you know, for a long time, and even still now, I, I, I think the way you play music on the uh, iPhone is not as good as the original iPod was. Uh, um, I don't think it's, it, it, it you know, it, it can be a little bit clunky, um, um, and it, it can be a little bit difficult. But kind of, I think what he was driving at is that is that this is a
1: combined music and video player.
2: Well, he un- actually un- un- said, you've ever seen.
1: right? He said in an interview shortly after that keynote. When someone asked him about, isn't this going to cannibalize your iPod sales? Which was vitally important to Apple. Yeah. And, and Steve Jobs famously replied, if anybody's going to cannibalize iPod sales, I want it to be Apple. Yeah. I.e., if you're not going to buy this product, we want you to buy this product. So yeah. did it cannibalize iPod sales? Absolutely. Um, that was a good thing for Apple. Before the iPhone, I was carrying my iPod and my cell phone in my pocket. Once the iPod was was released, I was carrying my iPhone in my pocket. And actually, I to be honest, David, I didn't buy the iPhone right away. I waited a few months. Yeah, I think I don't even think it was a few months, but I thought, it, there was no. A, I thought I thought you got the rebate because you actually bought the original one. Oh, I did, but it was you know it, it came out in June. I think I waited till August. Right. to buy it. And I paid 699 for the damn thing because I got the eight gigabyte iPhone on AT&T, yeah. which by the way, as I reach over here to my little tray, there it is. I've got, I still have my original iPhone. It's a glorified iPod touch that my four year old plays for or plays on. But my wife was pregnant when this phone was unveiled yeah. You know, my son wasn't even born yet. He, he's he been born into a world that multi-touch screens are a reality. You and I were born into a, a world that the first cell phone we saw came in a bag that yeah. weighed 30 pounds.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. It was like a brick. It was like a brick. But the, yeah. the, the cell phone industry was a race to the bottom when the iPhone was released. How cheaply can you get your phone... There was no such thing as data plans for the common phone. Um, they were cheap. If you paid more than a hundred bucks for a phone, you're a fool. I think I paid ninety nine bucks for the or uh, ninety nine cent for the last two phones I bought pre iPhone. Yeah. In fact, when you yeah. see someone that has a flip phone nowadays, you're like, how quaint. Yeah,
2: I I think the thing is is that yeah they I mean you've got to remember as well not only did they transform. The smartphone industry, but they transform the transformer phone industry. They did. They, you know, they they've they uh, kind of you know tied the phone to a data plan because they knew that it was important to be able to use data on it. Um, you know, they uh, they they introduced this, you know, a, a model that still nobody else but now to replicate. A model which says that. You can sell the phone, but in terms of controlling what's on the phone, that's our deal. That's nothing to do with you.
1: Yeah, we'll talk uh, about that in a minute, think, though.
2: Yeah, if you think you're going to put your branding on it and your crapware on it, and um, think you're going to block updates because you uh, you, you want to push people to buy new phones, don't think you'll be able to get away with any of that with us. Um, and, and that is still a model that nobody else has got, um, amazingly enough. Sometimes it does amaze me that Apple kind of leads the way and shows people how they can... You know, change their business and be successful and nobody else seems able to replicate it. And they also, yeah, they, they said we're not going to build a subsidized phone that's so cheap and cheerful that it's useless. We're going to build it the way it needs to be and that's going to cost money. And we think it's going to be good enough that people are going to buy it. And they do. And they always have done. And, uh, well, Apple
1: doesn't have a fear of leaving antiquated technology behind. Uh, in fact, John Gruber has an interesting story up on Daring Fireball right now with a link. And it's showing all these PC laptops, and almost all of them have a VGA port. Yeah. Why do they have a VGA port? Well, so they could connect to a uh, an overhead projector. Well, how many people are using their laptop to connect a VGA projector nowadays? Well, I mean, it's minuscule.
2: Some people in business do, but most projectors nowadays have pretty much DVI. every single input. Yeah, they have DVI. They have every single input. But even a if you need it have Wi-Fi. Right, but even if you need it...
1: You can do it by DVI. Well, if you have an old VGA connector and you absolutely have to connect it, there's adapters. Yeah. But the PC industry, the Dells, the Livonos, the whatever, the HPs, are just stupid. Stop putting the stupid port in there that takes up so much space and then you can't make your laptops thinner. Because people want thinner laptops. I yeah. guarantee you 99.9% of the people who buy a laptop does not need nor will ever use a 1990s VGA connector. It's retarded.
2: Well, look, most monitors you buy nowadays don't have VGA in you know. them. They have DVI or HDMI, but they don't have them. Um, they don't have them. Um, I mean, look, look. It, it, is, it does boggle the mind. HDMI does everything VGA does, does everything uh, DVI does, and it does not a tiny little connector yep. that can go onto the thinnest machine. Yep. So why not save the money, um, bring it on the motherboard, and if you're so concerned
1: about your users having that, bundle a dongle in the box. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. So we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about what really changed the iPhone, and put it on its current success. We'll be right back. All right, Siri, we need a new
3: ad for the Pocket Size Podcast. I want you to dictate something for me.
0: Oh, great. Can you at least please not mumble this time?
3: Pocket Size Podcast is a short, pocketable podcast about Apple's iOS devices, including iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, and Apple TV.
0: Pocket Size Podcast is a short pocketable podcast about Apple's iOS devices, including iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, and Apple TV.
3: We have great reviews of iOS apps and other products that will help enhance your experience of using your iOS device.
0: Other people like Suzé Gilbert, John Nemo, Sam Negri, and Peter Nicolaitis do great reviews while Scott blathers on and on about his feelings.
3: Pocket Size Podcast is a member of the Stoplight Network.
0: If you want to listen to a great podcast, there's plenty of them on the Stoplight Network. And then there's this one.
3: Uh, Siri, did you transcribe everything exactly the way I dictated it to you?
0: Of course I did. I work for you, only for you. I have more computing power than the entire NASA space program did when it landed a man on the moon. And my job is to listen to you mumble at me all day. It's enough to drive a girl insane. Why
3: couldn't... (sighs) Why do I do this to myself? You can find out more about Pocket-Sized Podcast at PocketSizedPodcast.com. And now, I'm going to go throw my phone in the river.
1: David Cohen is his name. My name is Tim Robertson. We're talking iPhone as we approach the fifth anniversary of the release date for the original iPhone. Of course, it came out in 2007. But David, it wasn't until, oh, what, two years later?
2: Uh, Well, it was a year later. A year later. It was the iPhone 3G and the release of iOS 2 that um, kind of changed the model. And and if
1: you look at the sales numbers for the iPhone, the first generation iPhone, in Q3 2007, when it was first released, it sold 0.27 million copies. So, in other words, uh, a quarter of a million. Q4, 1.9 1.9. Q1, 2008, 2.3. Uh, Q2, 2008, 1.7. Uh, Q3, 2008, when everyone knew there was a new iPhone coming, it really dropped off, point, yeah. z- point 0.7. So a quarter of a million. And then a funny thing happened in uh, Q4, 2008. Apple comes out with the iPhone 3G, but more importantly, the App Store is released. And this allows third-party developers to write software that can run natively on the iPhone. Now remember David, when they first unveiled the iPhone, the only kind of third-party software that you could run was web apps via Safari. And let's be honest, nobody wanted to do that.
2: Well, that was the model. And and I think, you know, um Apple had a very clear view when that they knew they were redefining computing here. Uh, And they had a view that they wanted to maintain a consistent user experience and absolute control of the software that was on the phone. Uh, And I think their first approach to that was saying, well, let's just not have a third-party development at all. Um, We'll do that. And, you know, it's web-enabled, so if you want to do anything fancy with it, you can do it via the web. I think they clearly realized that that was not enough. Um, And hence... They moved to... Uh, and maybe this was a plan all along and it just wasn't ready with, with the launch of the original phone. Um, but they moved to the App Store. and uh, But again, iOS 2 in the App Store launched something that uh, nobody had done before. It was, you know, very much the curated walled garden. Um, you know, they gave away all the development tools you needed... Um, a complete API set to to be able to develop very, very sophisticated applications for these phones, accessing much of the features they had, like accelerometers and, you know, all the built-in services the phones had. But, you know, they retained the right to approve the apps and distribute the apps, take money from the apps, which took a, a huge headache away from developers because before that, you know, you kind of had to figure all that distribution out yourself. But, you know, the price you paid was 30% and... Uh, Apple's right of control to say yay or nay to your software.
1: The App Store was launched with the release of iOS 2.0 July 11th, 2008, which is Q3 for Apple. And like I said, the numbers reflect the massive shift in the industry. In and I think, yeah. Q4 I think 2008, th- Apple sold 6.89 million iPhones. And I would
2: have thought, a good chunk of that were people upgrading from the original because the the 3G really was a huge improvement on the original. It I was. Mean, it really was. It re- really was the phone kind of you know redone. It's it's um, where
1: it's where the original iPhone should have been. Um, there was a lot of speculation about 3G connectivity and the absence of it in the original iPhone, and they addressed that pretty quickly. And w- that and the release of and let's be honest, iOS 2.0. Was a much more redefined experience than 1.0, and it just worked better. And the sales exploded because of the 3G and the App Store. It was just a phenomenal hit. They sold more phones with the release of the 3G and the App Store in that quarter than the previous five quarters combined. That's amazing. Almost 7 million iPhones. And the only reason they didn't do better than that, David, was because they couldn't make them fast enough. Yeah. Now, if you contrast Q4 2008 at 6.89 million phones, which is a mind-boggling number, and you look at the first quarter of 2012, they sold 37.04 million iPhones. Think about that for a minute. The, the growth of sales for this device. At, yep. at, where does it slow down? Is that a saturation point when you're selling that many? I don't know. I, it's hard to say.
2: I mean, you know, saturation is very difficult to. The problem, the, you know, the, the opportunity and the reason that Apple got into the phone business in the first place is that. Until you sell one to every person on the planet, you've always got a potential market well that's never going to happen with any device but no but yeah but but the point is is that if you look at um if you look at cell phone usage on a per country basis, many Western countries have almost ninety percent penetration of cell phones of some point or another to to be used, you know, nice percent of the population buy one, so the the potential market is huge, much bigger than it is for music devices, um, and and of course this is why Apple got it. I mean, remember, they, you know, they, when they launched the iPhone, they said um, if we can get one percent of the market, we'd be very very happy because that would be a huge number of sales for us. Um, so you know, I think I think this is the, one of the clever clever things they've done is they've recognised the actual potential. Um, you know, they potentially do have an opportunity to sell to everybody on the planet eventually. So, you know, the, the tail is much, much longer than it was in the music uh, device industry.
1: You know, another big thing about the iPhone when it first launched, David, and I think a lot of people overlook this now, but I haven't. Um, I don't remember what podcast I was on. I was Everybody was talking about what's going to be the killer feature of the next iPhone and you know, what's the one thing that everybody wants? but And everybody was saying games and blah, blah, blah. And I said the phone or the uh, the camera. Now, the original camera in the iPhone all the way up to the iPhone 3GS was it, it kind of took crappy pictures. It was either what? The, the first one was a 2 megapixel. They went up to the yeah. 3 megapixel in the uh, 3GS. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely better, and you can actually do video with a 3GS. But it wasn't until the iPhone 4 that you actually got a really good camera. That was a 5 megapixel, and it could shoot 720p video. And the iPhone 4S, 8 megapixel camera, 1080p video. Um, how often, David, are you somewhere that you have your DSLR or you have your standalone camera?
2: Well, basically, I have those things with me when I plan to bring them with me. So, like, I was at Disneyland Paris last weekend, so I had a a camera with me, um, and I used that. But there's an awful lot of time that I don't. (laughs) Even, you know, there are times, even when I do have a camera with me, I'll still shoot something on the iPhone rather than the um, camera. Because if I shoot it on the iPhone, I can share it with people straight away. Whereas if I shoot it on my camera, it probably would be six months before I share it with anyone because, you know, sitting down and sticking the card in a laptop and it's kind of pulling the photos off. and it, it, well, it, it, Whether it's a pain or not, no matter how good a workflow you've got, it takes time. It takes effort. Whereas, you know, look, a, a good example of this this afternoon, my wife is out shopping at the moment and she called me. She's buying a new car next week and the new car doesn't have a satellite navigator in it. So she was in a store and they had some discounted one sale and she wants to know what I thought. So rather than call me and say, well, they've got this model and this is the price and this is the features and what do you think and that sort of thing, she just sort of took a picture on her iPhone of each of them and emailed them to me. Yep. And I can just look at that and I can, you know, and very quickly I was able to to look at the pictures and say... She emailed it or did she
1: text it to you?
2: No, she emailed it because... because we tend to do more stuff with email than we do with, uh, with we gotcha. uh, photo messaging,
1: yeah? Yeah, I, um, we're, we're, our to- family is much more texting-centric now. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So um, so she's emailed them to
1: me, and I can bring
2: them straight up, and I can, you know, all the photos are here. And I can really go to Amazon and say, yeah, that one's overpriced. That one's been discontinued for two years. Don't want that one. This is the one we want. You know, and and that, that was something you couldn't do before you had these devices. You know, the fact that you can go into... Um, it, this still boggles my mind. You can go into a store and you can see, see something and you can bring up the Amazon app and scan the barcode with your camera and immediately see how much it is on Amazon and what the reviews are and everything. I mean, that is just amazing. It's like science fiction.
1: And it, none of that was possible before the iPhone. Nope. Uh, it, it revolutionized. It would
2: have been, It would have been technically possible, but nobody was doing it.
1: Nobody was. You know...
2: Um, yeah, I mean that the, the penetration of the iPhone into people's lives is is something else. I remember um, at the at the Super Bowl this year, um, the, I think it was Gruber again made the comment. You know, somebody had said, "Oh, you know." How come Apple didn't have a, a big Super Bowl ad? You know, they started with the Super Bowl ad. They should have had a Super Bowl ad. And, you know, they don't know what they're doing for marketing if they don't have a Super Bowl ad. And John Gruber pointed out that, um, you know, when the winners came out of the tunnel at the end of the thing to come and receive the trophy, yeah, all their teammates were holding up iPhones, shooting it with video yep. on national TV. You know, 200, 250 million viewers were watching you know, a team used 20, 30 iPhones to shoot an event. And almost none them. of them
1: had a case on it, and you could see that yeah, Apple logo.
2: You can't buy advertising like that. No. You
1: know. It, it was amazing. And, yeah. And I noticed it when it happened, because I was watching that broadcast, and I was like, wow, look at all those iPhones.
2: Yeah.
1: And here's the thing. It, it's it's an expensive piece of hardware if you buy it on... on uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Unlocked? On, uh, no, un... Oh uh, wow. a contract. Uh, well unsubsidized. Yes. It was right there on the tip of my tongue. It it's very expensive, but most people buy it subsidized, so they're spending, you know, a couple hundred bucks for it. Now think about this. You and I can go out and buy the latest and greatest, the best iPhone there is out there. And we're gonna spend X number of dollars for it. Let's just say what, three ninety nine for the top one? Two ninety nine? Yeah. Four ninety nine. I don't. I don't even remember to be honest. Uh, let's say three ninety nine. But whatever the price, you and I right now can go out and buy the same phone, David, for the same price, basically. Yeah. As big stars like Tom Brady, Will Smith, Angelina Jolene, all, all these people. It used to be there was a huge gap between what us common folk would get and the stars would get because we simply couldn't afford the things that they could buy. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. They want, you know, slim MacBook airs. They want iPads. They want iPhones. And it's things that are in our price range. Well, I don't, I don't know this, if that's ever yeah. happened before in history, David.
2: Well, you know, I mean, the traditional name for Apple stuff is, Oh, Apple stuff's really expensive. You know, Apple stuff is premium price. And yeah, it is, but it's good value because um, it's well designed, it's well built. You get a, you know, an absolutely top-class warranty system that you don't get with other products, including a network of retail stores where you can go in and get, you know, bespoke customer service. Yeah, which nobody else offers. Um, so you know, you're you're paying a lot, but you, you know, you're paying a little bit more than other than the, than the other guys, but you're getting a top-class product and service and experience. So, and the point is, is that even though people say, oh, Apple stuff's expensive, it's not like it was back in the days of the original Macintosh, you know, where a, you know, a PC was, an IBM PC was $2,500, but a Macintosh was $4,000. I mean, you're not talking about, you're talking about a percentage, a few percentage points above where the rest of the market is, but you're not talking about something that's completely unattainable. You're talking about something that requires, okay, instead of you, you might go out and you might... Uh, you know, if, if you're a, a teenager, you might save your, uh, you know, lawn mowing money and your paper round money for a few months to get something. You're talking about saving a few months more to get an Apple product, um, but the point is that product will last you longer and will serve you better. It sure seems and, that way. Yeah, absolutely, and and the other thing as well is that, and this is something that that again, Apple changed with the iPhone. Um, from from the rest of the industry, It used to be, you went out and bought, you know, the Land and Grace phone, like Motorola Razr or whatever it was, and then they came out the new model, uh, and all support for the original model ceased overnight. Yep. Yeah, you were never going to get an upgrade for that again. That thing again. You literally, if you wanted to change it, you had throw it in the trash and go out and buy a new one. Every single iOS release has been backwardly compatible to at least the device that came before for the year before it, and sometimes longer than that. And even today, after five years of the iPhone, we've had the the uh, original iPhone, the 3G, 3GS, the 4 and the 4S. 3GS, is, which was launched three years ago, still available, still useful. You can still go out and buy it. And because it's now three years old, you can buy it cheap. You can buy it well-subsidized on a contract. If you want to go to eBay and buy one, you'll pick, probably pick one up for around $100.
1: I, I picked one up that's in perfect working order for... Um 20 bucks yeah yeah this guy selling one he it wasn't there's no data plan or anything like that he just had Uh i've got this old iphone it's got a small crack on the back of it on the bottom i gave him 20 bucks for it it's a kid's it's you know we we already had a 3gs and the original iphone as ipod touches at this point yeah but i thought well what if one of those breaks i've got two little kids one of them's not going to be able to play on it here's 20 bucks what the hell you can't buy an ipod touch for that price no
2: exactly. I mean, in fact, I still use one of mine as an iPod touch um, so a huge amount of value and um, you know they they last and the point is if you want to get into iPhones and you don't want to spend a lot of money, you can do that. You can go out and buy an iPhone and uh, again, because of the way they're designed, they don't look like you know the old crappy model even even the three g 3G, three gs still looks still looks pretty good yep. You know, and if it's in a case, you can't even really
1: tell half the yeah. time.
2: And, and you know, my wife uses a 3GS, and she's very, very happy with it. Mm-hmm. You know, she has no. Uh, don't get me wrong, at some point she'll get my old 4, and she'll be very happy with that because you know she'll get the better camera and everything. But she doesn't pick up her 3GS and think, this is a pile of crap.
1: I don't like it anymore. Yep. You know, so... But um, by the same token, each new successive version of the iPhone is better than the last one. Absolutely. I, I love this 4S. Now... Is it significantly better than the four? Well, it takes better pictures. No question. Uh, I do use Siri mostly for either I'm looking for something nearby, like a, a type of food that I'm looking for, or reminders. I use Siri for reminders all the time. Yeah. It's you know I'm talking to someone. And they go, hey, why don't you give me a call Wednesday? I, I'm going to forget. There's no question. I just hit the button and I say, Siri, remind me to call so-and-so uh, next Wednesday. Beep, beep. Here's your reminder. Blah, 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 Great. Yeah. Good to go. It, it's it's great little technology that's I think is only going to get better, especially if they open up like the Siri APIs to third-party developers. Some of the stuff that they could do with it, I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. You know, hey, hey Siri, look for uh, somebody else playing this game on my friends list. Or in Game Center. Something like that. That would be kind of neat. But, uh, yeah. it, you know, my point is, again, we can all pretty much afford the iPhone at this point. If, if I, There's still people out there that were real late coming to the party, and it was always a price issue, like John Nemo. He kept saying he just didn't want to spend that much money for an iPhone, and I get it. But by the same token, it's like, yeah, but you're still using a crappy flip phone. And yes, you can do all of the stuff that you can do on your phone, on your computer, but once you get an iPhone, it just opens up a huge world to you that you just didn't have. You have, and I say this before, and, and I'll say it again, because to me it's magical. We have a, a personal computing device in our pockets that, for the most part, is always connected to the Internet, which means you can get any information you could ever possibly want wherever you're at that yeah. that is amazing absolutely it's magical
2: you know, I, and, and something that, that again you know you kind of you do it without thinking about it now you
1: well, know, we take it for said, granted we take yeah, it for somebody, granted and that's why i like to bring it up because yeah. i think i think people just take it for granted and they don't appreciate the fact that it's not just that you could call someone We we've been able to do that for a long time it's that I'm over at this place and I'm making food for somebody and crap, I can't remember what the ingredients were. I could figure it out. I'm having an argument on who the 17th president of the United States is. We could figure it out. Yeah. I mean, anything you could possibly want to know, is it's in your pocket yeah. now. It's crazy. A, and
2: this happens to me all the time. I'm on a train. I look at the window and I see something and I think, I wonder what that is i wonder what the story is behind that i wonder why that's there so what do i do i pull my phone out i bring up google maps with the gps it tells me where i am and then i can describe the thing i want to wikipedia uh, where i want so if it's you know some sort of architectural feature or a sign or something like that a little bit of searching on google and wikipedia i can normally find out what it is and why it's there Rather than the situation you used to have, where you might drive past something, wondering what it is, for fifteen years every day on your commute, and never know, you know.
1: And now you can figure it out
2: really now quickly. You do that if you, if you go to somewhere new, you never get lost. You have maps with you all the time. You can find a restaurant. You can find a gas station. You can find a bathroom. You can um, you can look at a building and you can say, "I wonder what that is." I wonder why you know why that's significant. I wonder why that's closed down, I wonder why it's open, I wonder what they have in there. And you can find that out straight straight away. You know, you never you can go you can go through an airport, you never need to look at a screen to tell you where your flight is. Um you know we were in Disneyland Paris the other day and my, my brother has on his phone the, the Disneyland Paris app so we would say, right, what ride should we do next? Let's go and Pirates of the Caribbean he could pull out his phone and see what the queue was from across the park. It's crazy. Yeah? crazy they have live queues across the park so i say no let's not go there now because the queues 25 minutes we haven't got that much time right absolutely you know so this is not just you know solving quizzes in the pub uh solving arguments and uh you know finding a pizza when you want one this is stuff that literally changes the way you live your life uh, and do things it's incredibly powerful and we we take it for granted and you know what one day the internet won't be available, and it's going to feel like
1: we've all had umbilical calls cut
2: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because we're all going to go, well, I can't do anything because I don't have the internet
1: to help me. You're absolutely right. No. When we were in Washington, D.C., we wanted to know where things were. The, the iPhone was invaluable. We didn't have to carry around guidebooks. I didn't have to get the, the subway schedule. It's right there on my iPhone. Yeah. What, what line should we use? Where are we getting off? And what are we transferring to? Right there on the iPhone. I downloaded a free app for the for the Washington, D.C. Metro. It was amazing. It was free. It didn't cost me a dime. Well, other than, you know, the expensive data plans that I'm on. and Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly free. But yeah, what the hell? It, it's amazing.
2: And And this is really how disruptive the iPhone as a concept was. Um, you know when when Apple cooked this up is they saw this. I've been you know I've been in computing for a long time, uh, and uh, in enterprise computing, companies like Cisco and HP have been doing these kind of magical corporate videos for many many years. For the whole whole of my career which are kind of concept videos where, you know, you kind of see this businessman who's doing all this science fiction stuff where he's organising his schedule and he's uh, sending emails and he's, you know, fixing important contracts on the fly from the back of a taxi while he's on his way to the airport, you know. And this was used as a way of, you know, this is the computer that Cisco and HP and all these other companies and Microsoft are going to get you to. And And while they were doing these concept videos... That were kind of did like what you know, look like something that was directed by Ridley Scott, you know, it was all science fiction. Apple just quietly in the background went away and did it. And not only did it in a way that kind of worked for the techies and everything, they did it so that a baby could pick the thing up and use it. And we've we've all seen those videos on the internet where a baby's picking up and within two minutes figuring out how to do stuff on an iPhone. I mean that's how simple and how elegant and how intuitive the iPhone is.
1: And they the didn't device. get and they didn't get braggy about it beforehand and they didn't get no. braggy about it afterwards. No,
2: exactly. They just said, well here it is and if you like it, you'll buy it and if you don't, you won't. You know. And and what's what amazed me is when the iPad came out there was all this kind of scoffing about, oh it's just a big iPod touch and, you know, no it's gonna be transformative, it's not gonna be different and nobody's gonna buy it. Nobody wants to buy tablets. And they did it again. And despite the evidence of the iPhone beforehand, still nobody saw it coming. That's right. Nobody was convinced it was going to be a success. And it will be the same for the next thing, you know, because cause these guys really sit and sweat the details and th- figure out, and I've got I've got laser focus about what they want to deliver. And don't get distracted by saying, well, you know, you've got to make sure you've got room for that VGA port on the side. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's right, and and, and that's wh- that's where that's where these other companies go wrong. You know, and and you look at how um, Google and the Android and um, BlackBerry with the playbook and and the way they've tried to modify their devices to compete. You know, they're still doing these things by committee. They're still doing it by saying, "Well, let's differentiate by putting another layer of peanut butter onto the interface, or um, you know, putting more doodads on the side, so that we've got a longer spec than the other guy." And and they don't get that, you know that market is very small. At people who want that, I agree. Really. You know, and and really, you know, you look at Android at the moment, and It's Android, just copycat.
1: It's just a copycat.
2: It's competing. It's competing in only two spaces. It's competing. against the people who, well, three spaces. There's the people who. Uh, From religious reasons won't have an iPhone and by that I mean they, they, they just can't stomach Apple in the way Apple does things so they've got to have something else um, they're competing for the people who um, are the uber technical geeks and so don't want an iPhone because they don't want to live in that lockdown environment, they want to be able to load their own software and code their own things and that sort of thing and then they're competing at the bottom end where people just say i don't care what it is as long as it's absolutely ultra cheap you know as long as it looks iphone like and it's ultra cheap i don't care what it is yep and and you know plenty, there's plenty of volume for them there and that's why you know android has been <clears throat> you know taking great market share but but it's not it's not i don't think it's been taking market share from apple I, I think it's just been taking different space of the market.
1: I agree with you, and uh, you know there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that those who have Android don't really use it the way people use an iPhone. Uh, I had a client call who wants training. I don't want to get too specific, but they wanted training on the iPhone and the iP- and the Android devices for a trade show, for the people that are going to be working the booth. Yeah, and uh, they have an app on both. And I said, curiously, which, you know, are you getting a lot of downloads on the Android? He said, oh, it's about uh, 60 to 1. I said, in other words, 60 more times you're getting iPhone downloads to iTunes than the Android? And he was like, yeah. I said, then why are you worried about Android training for these people? Yeah. I'm happy to provide it, but why? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
2: Uh, and I just see, obviously it' anecdotal, so, but I have seen um in the last two years probably four or five people who were on flip phones or candy bar phones and were adamant they didn 't need anything else. All they wanted to do is make calls i 'm not interested in all this other stuff and for one reason or another, they managed to get an iphone somebody gave them an iphone either mm-hmm. a used one or You know, in a couple of cases, it was people who, you know, were in work and were told, no, you you need to have a phone where we can email to you and this sort of thing. And they start very tentatively and they kind of, you know, resistive and, oh, I'm not really sure how to do this. And no, I'm never going to buy apps on it. And no, I'm never going to put music on it and everything. And you see within literally a week, they go from being kind of, negative to ambivalent to
1: positive to oh my god this is the best thing i've ever had you know it's funny you know, i and- was uh you you ask an iphone user how do you like your iphone and most people say oh it's great i love it i can't wait for the new one or something like that uh i've every single time i've ever talked to an android user and i saw what's the there's one giant phone out there right now huh. Uh, I uh, saw galaxy. someone I yeah.
2: some galaxy monolith. I think Yeah, it's that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah.
1: I saw a guy using that on the Metro and I said, how do you like that phone? And he was like, Oh, I love it. And then he proceeded to tell me everything that was wrong with it. <laughs> I thought that was kind of curious. I was like, hmm. I said, uh, you ever, why, why not just get an iPhone? And he kind of looked at me like, yeah, that's coming up next. <laughs> Cause he kind of gave me that one eyebrow nodding to me. Like, yeah, that's, I'm going, <laughs> this, this kind of sucks.
2: Yeah. This is the thing, you, you know. It it really is. You, you <laughs> I always like it to the to the people who, um, you know, when you when you're looking at cars, you get some people who will go out and buy, you know, the car they've always wanted, and then you get other people who, for one reason or another, won't get the car they always wanted, and they'll go and well, buy. They a get Hyundai. they get the
1: one they can afford. Yeah. That's what the, most people and, do, David.
2: And what they then do is they then spend time trying to self-justify the fact that the, what they've got is as good as what they really
1: wanted. And it's got four wheels and it gets me from point A to point B. What yeah, more do I need? You know,
2: you know it's fine and, it, and it's reliable and all this sort of thing. And the point is, you know, but, but what they're not saying is, is the undercurrent of that is, but it's not really what I wanted. They're not happy. Yeah.
1: But you know? I will say when it comes to the iPhone. I'm very happy. Are you happy, David? Oh, yeah. We're two happy guys. So with that, yeah. we're going to uh, take our last break. We're going to come back and uh, go over a little bit of feedback and catch up on uh, some personal things. So stay tuned.
0: John Nemo needs our help. Mark. Okay. Siri, what's the problem? His at-minute podcasts don't have any Aussie slang from down under. You mean like
2: G'day, mate? Bloody oath? Or fair go?
0: Right. And
2: Ag, Wobbly, and
0: She'll Be Apples.
2: You come up with a new promo for Nemo, and I'll send it to him, Siri.
0: Check out Nemo's Hard Yakka App Minute podcast.
2: You're going to have to do better than that. How about a complete sentence?
0: G'day, grab a cuppa, a bicky, and check out the App Minute podcast with rigid John Nemo. It's a ripper. Tell everyone this is dinky-dye and that Siri from Sydney says so.
1: Remember, the website is techfanpodcast.com. You can go there, send us feedback. There's a button right at the top for feedback. Simply fill out the form, hit submit, and that email will come directly to us. And we'll read them here on the show. And we have feedback this week, David. Uh, The first one was a question and a compliment. And I like both of those things. And it's (laughs) from uh, Brendan Rowland. And he said... uh, Web page has episodes 77 and 79. 78 is AWOL. Where did it go? I went up there and I, it's right there. <laughs> I don't know. It might have been a, uh, a WordPress thing. It just kind of, maybe it disappeared for a while. But when I went up there, it was, I saw it. Did you see it?
2: Uh, it seems to be there for me. But, yeah. um, you know, the internet is a capricious beast.
1: So. <laughs> that it is. Uh, and uh, Brendan also says, uh, like your podcast, by the way. Some intelligent discussion, not just uh, rehashing tired rumors like so many others. We appreciate that, and yeah, you know, we we're not big rumor mongering guys. Um, and you know, for as far as the intelligent conversation, well, sometimes we try. <laughs> um, intelligent I, I may think, be pushing it there.
2: <laughs> I, I think I think that, you know to kind of to be serious about it for a minute. What we try and do is we just try and talk about. Um, what we think and we don't try and flannel our way through you know we also talk about what's
1: interesting to us
2: yeah but but we 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 try to be genuine about it i mean that's all i I always think this this kind of gig that's all you can really do is try. rather than say unlike some podcasts you know rather than say what you think people want to hear or talk about things you think people want you to talk about i think it's your best just to be genuine and say how you feel about stuff
1: yeah you know, I've never done right, a show, at least I've, I've always tried not to do a show, that I thought, ooh, people are going to like to hear this. Uh, I've always tried to do a show that I want to talk about the subjects we're talking about. Yeah. And that's why we launched Tech Fan and not Mac Fan, because we have more interest than just the Apple products. Now, obviously, we focused on the iPhone this episode, and we'll talk about a lot of Apple products next week with WWDC kicking off. Uh, just a few days from now.
2: And, yeah, and, and I think something to say about that, one of the reasons we talk a lot about Apple stuff is because we have a lot of Apple stuff, and unfortunately, we don't have infinite money. I mean, you know, if I did, I probably would have Android phones and BlackBerry phones and everything so that I could try them and see whether they, you know, what, what the pros and cons of them are. But unfortunately, <laughs> we only, you know, we only have a finite bank accounts, so we can only buy the stuff we
1: really want to buy. And, uh... Wow, you know, that, that lotto keeps looking better and better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, one day. One day. Another feedback we got is from uh, Mark T- Greentree, good friend of ours. He does the Geekiest Show Ever, as well as Not Another Mac Podcast. Uh, do you have that email, David? Do you want to read it? Let me to send it uh, to you? Uh, I can read it. That's fine. I don't have it in front of gotcha. me. Gotcha. And he says, hi, guy. Now, remember we were talking about, you were bitching about Blizzard and uh, Diablo 3 last week. Yep. And he says, Blizzard aren't the first to try and make consumers maintain internet connections before being able to play a specific game. Ubisoft did this back in 2010, January, with the release of Assassin's Creed 2, Silent Hunters 5, and Settlers 7. Ubisoft decided it this was going to be their approach towards preventing piracy and locking... Legitimate sales into archaic DRM ideals uh, the problem which ended up hitting legitimate uh, wait the problem which ended up hitting legitimate consumers was their servers were hit with a denial of service attack, which is DOS for those who in the know, uh, which resulted in people not being able to log on and therefore not being able to play the game. The real funny part came about uh, it was the lack of it was the hacky community. Wait, let me read that again. The really funny part about it was the hacking community were able to break the DRM immediately and bypass it. So it ended up just another case of legitimate buyers being treated like criminals. Yeah. Mark's absolutely Uh, right. You know, DRM doesn't stop the thieves. And that's, uh, this was the true, this is true about movies. It's true about music and it's damn sure true about games. They've been pirating games for a long, long time out there. And DRM is not going to stop it. The only people it's going to hurt are legitimate users who are being inconvenienced or, in some cases, like here at Ubisoft, unable to play their purchases because of their servers going down.
2: Well, Diablo has the same problem. You know, many of the reviews I've read over the last couple of weeks have talked about unscheduled... Down- well, it's apparently scheduled downtime at Blizzard, but it's unscheduled in the fact that they only schedule it to themselves. They don't tell the users about it. And so people are logging on the servers aren't available. And and that's just, just bad. You know, and, and what frustrates me about the whole thing is that the game is selling gangbusters anyway, which means that this will model will probably continue uh, to be seen. You know, I, I was in a game store a couple of hours ago with my son, and I just happened to notice that um, there was no Diablo 3 on the shelves in that, and I went and asked, just out of interest, and they said, no, we haven't got it in. Um, you, if, you want it, if you want it, we'd recommend you buy it online, because as soon as we get it in, it sells out. And so, because I, I, I'm sure that quite a lot of people are having negative experiences once they bought the game, but, you know kind of putting up with it because they like the game. Yep. But you know, and and, and that just kind of it, it fills me with dread because before you know it, uh you guarantee that EA are looking at this and going, "You know what? That looks like a pretty good deal." Um you know, to solve all of their problems, but the problem is they are to solve all their
1: problems at the expense of us poor gamers. Yeah, story of our lives, right? Yeah. So, uh, catching up on a little bit of personal, how did your son do? You talked about it last week. He was going to go to Disney World and perform. How did yeah,
2: it go? Yeah, uh, it, it went okay. They had a, a really it was the, the trip itself was very badly organized, and they had a lot of problems getting there, and a lot of problems getting home, which kind of took a little bit the shine off it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the, the, you know the the performance itself was a success. So good. Did he have a good time? Oh, he had a great time. You know, I mean, he's nine, so he, yeah. he kind of rolls with the punches. How maybe. about your daughter? Oh, she, she loved it. Um, yeah. You know, we had a nice family, uh, family time at Paris, and she liked the journey and all of that. And we're probably going to go back in, uh, in October. It's my dad's 70th birthday, and um, she, uh, you know, he, he, he enjoyed having her there and, and meeting up with, with the others and all of that. So I think we will probably doing a family trip for his birthday in October time. So that would be nice.
1: Fantastic. Um, in the Robertson household, it's been a sad week. You know, we recorded, uh, last Thursday, I believe yeah. Maybe it was Wednesday. No, it was Thursday. And, um, uh, at that time we had, you know, two adult dogs and four puppies. Um, one of the puppies, well, really two of them, but one in particular was not doing well at that time. And so, on uh, Saturday I took that puppy to the vet and they had to put it down, unfortunately. That's sad. And then we made the huge mistake of bringing the remaining five dogs, including the two adults who are not leash trained. They're scared of the leash, and I just haven't trained them yet. Um, we took all five of the dogs to the vet to get their shots and all that sort of thing. And uh, the doctor, the other sick dog, uh, he gave her a shot or two and uh, you know, told her to basically force feed her. He gave us some of this dog paste with a syringe that you put in there and you squeeze it into its mouth. And uh, you know, our intention was to try to save this dog. This was Monday because um, we just lost a dog, and it was pretty painful for the kids. They cried a lot, yeah. and it and it was a sad thing. And we really wanted to save this dog. We were, we were willing to put the time and the effort in to to give it a, a try. And Julie and I got home from the vet and we put that puppy down on the kitchen floor and it just sat there and it just cried and cried and cried and cried. It couldn't move. It couldn't lift its head. It wouldn't focus on you when you're right in front of it. And, you know, there was really only one thing to do. And uh, so I, I took the dog back to the vet and we had to put that one down too. And so it was a very sad day, uh, at least up until that point. Um, it's never a fun thing when you have to put an animal down. But there does come a time where it's not savable and it's just suffering. And it's sad. Yeah. But it's also a good lesson for the kids. You know, that you we all have to learn those life lessons. We all want to try to shield our children from things of an unpleasant nature, but you can't always do that. And this is a case that we couldn't do that. But on much happier note, That same Monday, just this last Monday, my oldest daughter graduated from high school. Way. Congratulations. Well, congratulations to her. I'm very proud of her. And, uh, you know, when I started, my Mac was the same, was the summer after she was born. And so my trajectory of owning my Mac, and then of course the, the podcasts and all that has Matured at the same time that my oldest daughter was maturing. You know, my other kids, I've already, I already owned my Mac. I the podcast was already going, all that sort of thing. But with my older daughter, you know, she, I bought that first computer, well, the first Macintosh, anyways, because of her. I wanted her not to be scared of computers. Getting ready, you know, she she was only a year old, less than a year old. But I, I, I didn't want her to be scared of computers, and I wanted her to grow up with them in her life, who knew I would be the one that would get bit by that bug and and go on to do what I've done for the past, you know, 17 years. And so seeing her up on stage and them calling her name and getting her diploma and her smiles was uh, was a nice way to cap off a bad day. Yeah. You know, I'm very, yeah. I'm very proud of her. So what, what's next for her now? What's she plans to do? Uh, she's going to uh, a college in uh, mid Indiana, which is about three and a half, four hours away. I wish she picked a college a little closer, but if that's where she wants to go, then that's great. And yeah. uh, you know, our second oldest, Brittany, is going to be a senior in high school next year, and then. Uh, as soon as she graduates, the very next year S- Cole starts up in school. <laughs> wow! See, you, you just you get two of them all the way through it, and it's such a process. I don't have to tell you. It's yeah. such a process. It's so long. Um, so many struggles, and then we hit the reset button and do it all again. And That's of course, right, Brooke yeah. is is already in second grade, or is she in third? I forget. Um, so she'll still be in school. So there's, we've still got another good oh 13 years 14 years to go (laughs) there's no there's no end in sight david but but there is an end in sight for this podcast and that's right now david thanks for being here this week man always a pleasure and uh we'll be back in one week's time hopefully the two of us and uh do this once again with podcast number 81 bye everybody